There are a couple of challenges now, or you could turn it around and say that there are opportunities. But two main things I would say are our most operators' mindsets these days. One is the mobile broadband business. Uh, the data volumes are constantly growing, but the revenues are not growing at the same pace. So in some way, operators need to find a way to efficiently manage the data growth, uh, to find the best way of operating the network, how do you that? Welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. And this is another in our Transmissions from Tomorrow themed shows where we have the opportunity to talk to subject matter experts from Ericsson about all things telco and telecom and mobile. And today I have the pleasure of having Lars Fried, Director of 5G Core Strategic Product Management in the studio with me. Hi Lars, how are you? Hi Des, I'm good. Thanks for being here. It's an honor and a pleasure. Oh, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Now, I'm going to give you a nice wrap-up here as far as your uh, background goes because I'm fascinated by the amount of stuff you've managed to get in the last uh, two and a half uh, decades. Um, you've, uh, your role itself, Director of Strategic Product Management of 5G Core Networks at Ericsson, I'd love to delve into that a bit more. Um, before we do that, let's just get a bit of a, an overview of yourself and then maybe some background on you. So, uh, I mean, you've had about two and a half uh, decades of, of work around the whole space of wireless and data comms. Uh, in both Sweden and in the U.S. in Silicon Valley. Um, and you've covered a whole range of global standards I've, uh, I've read, and particularly technologies around 2G, 3G, 4G, mobile uh, data and communications, uh, IP routing, satellite systems, uh, dedicated uh, mobile data systems for uh, both, uh, I guess, the industry segments around operators and telcos and carriers as well as enterprise. Um, and that your current focus is the whole challenge of uh, driving the priorities for uh, product strategies for 5G, 5G systems. Um, but you've, uh, you've got an interesting background. I mean, you've, you've co-authored a couple of books. You, uh, you studied electrical engineering at uh, Chalmers University of Technology in Gothenburg in uh, Sweden. And I understand you took your master's at uh, Imperial College of Science and uh, Technology and Medicine in London in the UK. Uh, that's a phenomenal background and an awesome pedigree for the type of role you've got now. Um, I'd love to get a bit of background on kind of where you're originally from and, uh, you know, sort of where you grew up and a bit of insight into that academic uh, career path and what inspired you to get into this whole space in the first place. Okay, yeah, that was a, it's an interesting journey for sure. Um, and it's, it's been through, throughout the years and throughout these different stages, it's been a lot of things that have been happening and the industry has transformed, of course, over the years. Uh, starting with, with, it was a long question, but uh, starting from the first years, um, I grew up in, in, uh, in Sweden. Uh, I was born and... and uh, Spent my first 20 years in, in Karlstad, a small city in the west of Sweden, um, attending high school and, and doing military service and so on. Uh, and then when I was 20, I, I moved to Gothenburg, which is the second biggest city in Sweden, uh, on the west coast, to, to start my university years. And from there, I've been sort of more and more engaged into communication specifically. So I started with electrical engineering there at, at Chalmers University. Um, had the opportunity to spend uh, my final year at university in, in, in London, UK. Um, really, really good school at Imperial College um, in, in South Kensington, central, central part of London. Um, and there I attended a master's program specializing in telecommunications. Um, so that was a good start for what was to come. So I graduated... Um, well, it's getting close to 30 years now, 
<laughs> time is flying. <laughs> that ages us both. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, it has been a fantastic journey, and, and uh, I've done a lot of interesting things. Um, You've authored a couple of exciting books as well, from what I've seen there. I'd love to get your insight into those books as well. I mean, it's, uh, you know, living and breathing in this whole, uh, I guess, you know, uh, world of, of each of the various Gs, three, four, and and, uh, and now five coming along. Um, uh, love to get a little background on some of the books and how you came to author those. And, and I guess the, the, the titles of them are interesting, but uh, uh, that whole sort of 4G packet network space that you wrote about originally and the whole topic of driving the mobile broadband revolution that's now where. Uh, how did you come to author books in the first place? What drove you to start writing? Yeah, we, we were approached by a, a publisher uh, looking for seeing basically that there was a lack of, of comprehensive and detailed textbooks on, on, uh, on new technologies. Uh, we have colleagues who have done books on, on radio technologies that uh, have been very successful. And, and we decided to, to, together, a couple of us, make a book on, on core network technologies. And it became a quite extensive uh, piece of text. Um, it has been on the market now for a couple of years. It's even translated into Chinese. Uh, so there's a Chinese version of that book uh, in China. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it has been a good, um, a very interesting uh, thing to become an author um, and to, to deal with these kind of aspects of producing text and creating clarity and, and explaining things that at the same time is happening. Because we were very much looking into standardization, what is happening now, how do we explain this in a good way, how do we get it detailed enough to add value to the readers. Um, so I think we, we managed quite well with that. No, congratulations. Now, I'm very keen to get you to give us a little insight and kind of, I, you know, the role uh, Director of 5G Core Strategic Product Management. It's, um, it's, a, it's a broad title. It sounds like you cover a great deal of space. Uh, how do you come to describe that role and, and kind of what a day in the life of Lars Fried's like uh, as far as your job title goes and the sorts of things you're dealing with? Because it seems to me a very broad title. You have, you have a lot on your shoulders. Uh, how do you describe that in 30 seconds if you walk into a boardroom and someone asks you uh, kind of what you entail? Yeah. Um, 30 seconds is challenging. Uh, but uh, basically it's about the short version. It's about driving product strategies, uh, taking decisions on prioritizations, on, on making sure we are investing in the right areas with the right priorities uh, for the overall 5G core portfolio. Uh, and this is done, I basically do this through a corporation across our business unit uh, with different um, parts and different people, of course, involved owning their independent products that make up our complete Ericsson 5G portfolio. So it's about coordination and about driving uh, the company strategies in the right direction to make sure that we uh, address our, our customers' needs uh, in, a, in a way that, that uh, makes us success and, and succeed. So, it's definitely a big challenge. It, it is a, yeah, and, and uh, as you, what does a day of, of my work look like uh, or a working day? Well, the, the interesting thing, and that's why I've been with Ericsson for so long, is that two days never look the same. They are really different. It's a truly international environment. Uh, I work with colleagues and, and people all around the world, both Ericsson people, but also our customers. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of great people around. 
so that's one thing, the, the constant intellectual stimulation, you could say. We're working in this international environment with state-of-the-art technologies and, and trying to make sure that we, we make um, attractive business offerings out of new technologies. So it has been a very much a, a rewarding time uh, throughout these years. And I had a similar role in, in 3G and 4G when I started uh, when packet data was new and mobile data was not a big business for the operators. I, I started with the 2G business, in, specifically for Japan, actually. Uh, the, there was an uncertainty, I can say, in the industry about how do you actually capitalize on, on mobile data. Everyone, everyone was making money out of voice and, and maybe some text messages. Mobile data at that time, in the 90s, that was a little bit uncertain and it had an uncertain future. The smartphones were not around. Until. So I started working on, on uh, the 2D systems. And I'm not sure if you recall at that time, but there were regional standards, right? There was the Japanese standard, there was the North American standard, there was a European standard. Um, and I worked specifically with Japan at that time. Um, and then everything changed later on when, when 3G took off. Um, a little bit slow, though, because there wasn't really a big demand yet. But halfway through 3G, the smartphones came, and then mobile broadband took off. And, um, it has been a, a very interesting journey, I think, for the whole industry. I've, been, I've had the opportunity to be working in these early stages with each of the Gs, you can say, uh, to start um, involving the, the first operators, uh, to start with setting up trial networks, um, setting our strategies, uh, directing our standardization people, and, and discussing all sorts of aspects of, of how to make the new G a success, uh, both for Ericsson, but certainly also for our customers. So not only me, of course, we are a big team. I've had the opportunity myself to be in the middle of this. It's definitely an exciting career path, and uh, I'm, I'm envious in many ways. And certainly, the, uh, in fact, I was uh, talking to, uh, I think it was uh, Fernanda Mendes uh, a couple of days ago on another show, and uh, she had this term, uh, citizen of Ericsson. And uh, I think you've just described it as well. That, uh, uh, once you join a company like Ericsson, uh, you can spend a, a career there doing amazing things. And as you said, no one, two, well, no two days are the same. Now, I know you've had some very exciting announcements uh, that just come out, and uh, specifically around your 5G platform. And uh, from what I understand, there's some new solutions that have been announced, and I would really love to get your insights into kind of, uh, you know, what you can share about those new solutions uh, around what I understand is the uh, 5G uh, cloud core and uh, so forth. What can you tell us about these exciting new announcements and uh, what's Ericsson doing? Yeah, that, that's, um, that's an interesting and, and, and very exciting part now. We announced what we call the 5G platform. Uh, I think it was back in 2017, uh, two years back, uh, as like an umbrella for the Ericsson 5G portfolio. And what we just recently announced is a couple of new solutions uh, under this um, 5G platform framework or, or uh, umbrella name. And one of them um, specifically that I'm very much involved in is what we call the dual mode 5G cloud core, uh, which is a new portfolio of products uh, that addresses the challenges and the opportunities we see for, for 
operators going forward now, specifically for the core network operations and core network deployment parts. Tell us, uh, for folk who, who might not fully understand uh, what you mean by uh, uh, dual mode 5G cloud core, give us a little insight into kind of what that actually entails and what that means. Yeah, okay. Yeah, th there are a couple of challenges now, or you could turn it away, turn it around and say that there are opportunities. But two main things I would say are on most operators' mindsets these days. One is um, the mobile broadband business. Um, the data volumes are constantly growing, but the revenues are not growing at the same pace. So in some way, operators need to find a way to efficiently manage the data growth, uh, find the best way of operating the network. How do you cut down uh, the cost per bit that you produce in the network? So efficient managing, efficiently managing the, the mobile broadband growth is, is one key thing for operators. The other thing is, how do you find new revenue sources? How do you grow your business beyond the mobile broadband offering? Um, and those two areas are sort of the two major drivers for what we just launched as part of, of the 5G platform there, uh, the dual mode 5G cloud core. And it basically is about that, or let me back off, off a little bit. One complication here uh, is that 3DPP which is the organization that, that specifies basically the, the global telco standards, as many know. Um, they have ended up in a little bit complex situation in that we have two architectures, two network architectures on the table. And depending on how you deploy your radio network, which technology you use for, for coverage band and what, which technology you use for, for your capacity band, uh, you may end up with different core network solutions. And this is just a consequence of how standardization has been driven with the past couple of years. Uh, but what we see here, and that's the cornerstone of our offering, is that operators should only have one network to manage, one core network solution. Uh, any device should be able to access the network over any access technology. Um, the operator should have a common set of resources uh, that they utilize for serving their complete uh, subscriber base. Um, and they need to really find all means to, to make the operations as efficient as possible, while not forgetting that you need some flexibility to open up new business opportunities um, without bringing extensive or, or costly reconfigurations. So all of these aspects we're trying to address uh, as part of our, our new core network solution. Um, I, so, I imagine there's a yeah. challenge in that space in that, you know, I mean, you, you've seen these, these, these standards from a global point of view grow from sort of traditional radio style devices. And I remember visiting Schuster uh, recently, and there's one of the original Ericsson uh, luggable phones. It's this massive thing that's even bigger than a briefcase. And, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's essentially a, a radio pretending to be a phone. But as you've seen this go, you've seen this whole process of, you know, I guess big sunk uh, investments, sunk costs into infrastructure with routers and switches and servers uh, transition all the way through to now where essentially, you know, Ericsson's cloudified everything. Everything is running sort of in cloud native mode and it's containerized and running in, in sort of the likes of Kubernetes clusters under OpenStack. 
This, to me, seems to be the, the big enabler, uh, it's, I guess, uh, powering this whole 5G platform and some of the new solutions you're offering, that uh, when you describe the network, um, is it fair to say the network that we sort of might envisage once with poles and wires and cables running around and data centers with routers and switches? I mean, that's no longer the case, is it? These days, it's software-defined infrastructure, software-defined networking, uh, any sort of end-to-end connectivity is network function, virtualization-driven, and that this capacity to, to instantiate and, and uh, enable either new services uh, from an existing offering or, or create new services and offerings, I mean, these are all software-defined things that are sort of cloud natives and being done very quickly. And nowadays, instead of years or months, they're sort of days and hours. Is that a fair thing to say? I think it's a good summary, at least where we are heading. Uh, we think it's, and especially for this part that I talked about, looking for growth beyond mobile broadband, what you want to see or what most operators are looking into is how do you address specifically the, the enterprise space and industries or the global or bigger context, the, the whole society digitalization. There's a lot of things happening. A lot of investments are happening outside of the mobile broadband space. And how can you, as an operator, address part of these uh, these investments through offering value-added solutions? And and in order to do that, you need flexibility in your own in your own uh, infrastructure, so that you can more easily instantiate. Uh, new services, new offerings, without having to bring all the cost of, of redesigning the network, or investing in new, in new hardware, and so on. And this is the concept of network slicing, which has been very much discussed in the industry the, the past couple of years. Um, but it's really what it is about. The lower the threshold for opening up new business opportunities, realizing new services on existing infrastructure, and still separating the offering so that we can have one configuration that is tailored for a specific use case, if it's manufacturing industries or so on. And you have other parts of your network that have configurations that are suited for Internet of Things, um, communication, or scaling lots of devices in a cost-efficient way. And you have a third part, which is more traditional mobile broadband uh, defined. So network slicing, and of course with it comes the need to run this on a virtual infrastructure uh, and to have a powerful orchestration that controls the, the resources of the network. Because this, of course, you can address new opportunities through building dedicated networks or, or dedicated parts of your network for that service, but it can become very costly and that may kill your business case. So it's important to take this step towards a very efficient cloud solution uh, combined with or paired with dynamic orchestration. That, that's really key here. And then the applications uh, need to be tailored to, to fit into this context. And that's where we see a lot of benefits with, with designing the software cloud native uh, in terms of resource efficiency, in terms of uh, very powerful automation support. And also the way that you, well, how you define and design this software uh, in a very modular fashion using well, the term microservices, of course, often using, um, that you can achieve a shorter time to market through only touching a part of your software uh, in an upgrade, for instance. So we see 
quite a few very nice things coming together here now. But I wouldn't say that most operators are there yet. I still think the industry has some way to go before we can actually realize this. But it's definitely heading in this direction. Yeah, there's definitely some momentum there. And I know that uh, Ericsson has, uh, uh, I won't say how many, but uh, there was a very large number that I was surprised by when I heard a number of telcos and operators that have already made some very big inroads into this whole space of moving towards cloud models and software-defined X um, and and leveraging the whole dynamic orchestration piece, and you know they've probably been doing a bunch of work on their own internally, but it seems to me that they uh, they're focusing on the core value that they can offer, and they're coming to Ericsson to to gain all the uh, I guess the foundational component of the telco and operator uh, capability and software defined infrastructure. Um, when we think of the, I guess two and three G, I guess the killer app was really voice, and then the shift from three to four G data and apps became a big thing, and then smartphone came along and. We went from sort of listening to podcasts to watching video on it. 5G to me seems to be this uh, Cambrian explosion, if you like, of, of new opportunities uh, for uh, sort of both traditional and non-traditional operators and carriers because they can start to focus on either data-style uh, offerings for people who want to watch a lot of streaming or, uh, you know, we've now seen uh, LTEM come out, uh, a protocol specifically designed for IoT-type connectivity. We've got autonomous vehicles of all different sorts, ranging from little things with four wheels delivering pizzas to uh, airplanes and trains and and big ships around the ocean, as well as cars. Um, This must present a bunch of challenges for the operator zone. That is, you know, where do they invest their time, effort, resource and, and I guess money and humans uh, around? Yes, there's a lot of big opportunities in all of these markets. Uh, is it the case that they often may need to choose which segments they want to focus on and where their core value is as a carrying operator? Because I don't imagine that everyone can be everything to every person uh, in this space, whether it's B2C for the consumer or B2B in the business space or whether it's small to medium size or enterprise or core industry with factories. Uh, it, with all these opportunities, uh, there must be some challenges that you're seeing where operators are going to sort of pick their uh, battles, if you like, and their investments, but also pick the opportunities they want to pursue. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there is a lot of, of uh, complex business decisions at the table for, for operators here. Uh, and one thing that uh, is very much related is, of course, what do they do with their spectrum? Spectrum is expensive in most countries. And um, you move or how do you migrate your spectrum onto new technologies uh, in order to address either existing uh, businesses, uh, capacity expansion of mobile broadband, for instance, or do you want to address specifically an IoT business? And, and maybe to keep your, your existing IoT business, you need to keep some spectrum uh, to serve these devices on, on a specific technology. We still see GSM, for instance, being a very good solution for, for some IoT use cases, even though it's a, nowadays an old technology. It may actually be the best technology for some use cases. So the, the complexity grows in terms of having more technologies at the same time, uh, and also a need for the operators to decide on how do they migrate their spectrum? What technology do they use on, on the different bands? Um, and this is, of course, different in different in different countries. We also have regulatory aspects. Um, some countries have licenses coupled to specific uh, technology deployments, so that one license you may only use a certain radio technology in that. But from a core perspective, we, we tend to see 5G, five, what we call 5G core is a bigger 
a bigger thing. It's not really just serving a 5G radio access. It's about efficiently managing and serving a large number of end-user services. And what access technology that is used is, is actually of less importance to the core network. We, we build in and we support the, the full set of, of access technologies so that services should be able to use uh, or should be useful uh, over any of these accesses uh, in our solution. But the, the more important part, I think, is that you need to have a flexibility in the network so that you can more easily reconfigure and, and partition your, your resources for the different offerings, unless you want to stay in purely the mobile broadband uh, offering space. But I think most operators that we talk to are quite excited or, or at least looking into very much how can they grow their business um, into new areas. And here, new radio technologies like NR is, of course, a key part of this, but also they need a core network um, that efficiently supports uh, their, their planned offerings. And that goes across the BSS system for charging, for provisioning, for, uh, for managing the services, um, the OSS systems with network management, with, with resource orchestration, the cloud layer uh, needs to be as efficient as possible, and of course, the applications. So this is, this is um, really what we address now with the, with the dual mode 5G cloud core. A complete set of, of 5G products and solutions that together are starting to form uh, this, uh, the foundation for, for operators to, to offer new, new businesses in the future. I still think that we are in the exploratory phase uh, for, for some of these use cases. It's, um, we still have some way to go. Indeed. Well, I know in India, for example, there are at least one carrier where they, uh, they effectively sell data-only plans, and uh, the idea is that they sell you a fairly cheap, and I, and I think it's in the area of 3 to 4 US dollars a month. You get truckloads of data, and I think it's like 30, 40 gig a month or something. And uh, but you you just don't get voice, uh, and it seems to have taken off phenomenally. One of the things that strikes me with that, and, and you, know, you mentioned business support systems (BSS) at one end, and that's the, I guess, the onboarding enablement of uh, either everything from self-service to rapid uh, uh, customer support service to onboard new clients. And I remember reading in the, in a recent edition of the Ericsson Mobility Report that uh, Ericsson worldwide was onboarding something in the area of 1 million new subscribers across their network worldwide for uh, their telco and operator partners, which was uh, referring to a, a million new handsets and new subscribers, not just upgrades and refreshes, which I found phenomenal. And, uh, and that leads me then to the, what you're talking about with regard to OSS, the operational support systems where human beings can't scale and move at that speed. Uh, this is kind of where, you know, what we used to sort of look for enterprise and fail and fail fast type development models and that DevOps approach this is where I guess you've completely transformed the telco market with the cloud space. And interesting point you, you made there with regard to how telco is going to move beyond the mobile broadband market space, which is an entire show in itself. But one of the things that strikes me with this is that uh, uh, this whole challenge of managing the data growth, um, because, I mean, we've seen you know, an exponential-styled uh, growth in data, not just in, in the handsets. Uh, and there was a great line. I, I had Patrick Kerwell on the show recently, and he had a great anecdote where he said uh, he couldn't work out where all the data usage on his son's mobile phone plan was going. And then one day he realized uh, his son was using YouTube to listen to music and that he was streaming full stream 4K <laughs> video or whatever it might be, or 1080p video to just listen to audio because he was pushing play and putting it in his pocket. 
Um, but yeah, we walk down the street these days and we see people holding the phones out at arm's length doing, you know, same time or video calls or whatever it might be. So it strikes me that the growth beyond mobile broadband market in some ways, yes, the operators are going to have to definitely look at how they grow those if they're in the industrial space or wherever. But it seems there's already a consumer-driven disruption where voice calls are kind of becoming a thing of the past and now people are doing video calls and they're doing different types of video calls. We're not just watching Netflix. We're doing conference calls and so forth. I can imagine the day where people dial each other and watch a movie together in a virtual sense, which is mad. I'm keen to get your insights on this whole challenge of the data growth because we've got a couple of areas. I mean, there's the the, the moving of the data across the network in different different uh, types of services, and I guess you know you could you could price that at a, at a plan point, uh, both for a consumer and enterprise. But it's also the significant management challenge at the operational support systems level of just collecting the data for billing and reporting and compliance and governance and you know GDPR type data. Uh, Love to get your thoughts on that whole challenge of how you're approaching that and, and the conversations you're having with the carriers and operators that come to you saying exponential data growth. It's already happened to us. What can we do? Yeah, it's for sure very much on, on the table in, in most discussions. And I think we see similar trends in most markets in terms of data growth. Um, and it's very much about how can we help uh, growing without growing the costs for the operators. And part of what we think is very important here uh, is, or it, I'll put it this way, there could be a couple of things that you can do, um, depending a little bit on your cost structure also. Um, we see some countries uh, where it may be beneficial, especially larger countries, Australia is one, uh, China, the, the US, and so on where it may be beneficial to actually uh, terminate uh, the data traffic or have the, the connection point to the internet or whoever is providing the services more distributed. We have a couple of large operators who are still running traffic to very centralized points. Um, it may be good for an operational perspective, uh, but it also brings cost in, in terms of transmission and, and and, and resources um, to, to transport the data from one end of the country to the other. So breaking out traffic closer to the services or to add, increase the number of, of interconnection points, that's one possibility for, especially important for, for larger countries. And this we see operators asking for a lot to see how can we break out traffic closer to the users. Maybe enterprises or it may be consumer services. How can we cache content uh, closer to the access and so on? So that's one thing. But I think in the core network part, it is a major part of what we're doing is to simplify the operations. Uh, of course, virtualization opens up for streamlining of the platforms so that you have more uniform platforms which can more easily scale uh, in terms of capacity growth. But automation, uh, how do you manage, how do you deploy new software, how do you test new software? Um, this, there's an, a large potential here for, for streamlining the, the way that operators uh, perform these tasks. And we've, we are working with, with sort of early operators who are starting to engage in what we call continuous integration and continuous deployment of software and they see tremendous gains in terms of working in new ways. Instead of doing 
software upgrades, for instance, once or twice a year, they do it much more frequently. Uh, and that cuts costs a lot. You do smaller upgrades, meaning the quality goes up. So the way that you deploy software um, and the way that you also utilize different tools that automate some of these steps, that's very, very important to, to um, uh, also address the, the cost, especially in the core network part. So there are a couple of, of things uh, that you can do. Uh, I think on the radio side, uh, we can briefly touch on that. But, um, the new radio uh, for operators who have access, for instance, to high, high band spectrum, uh, is a very cost efficient way to, to uh, implement uh, high capacity radio access support. Uh, for instance, in hotspots. So the combination of NR and LTE technology on the access side is another thing uh, which we think will grow a lot in terms of, of addressing uh, the need to, to efficiently support ever-increasing volumes of data. There's another challenge uh, that I see as well, and that is um, we, we touched on it early on, and I guess and that is that whole space of both opening new growth markets uh, and, and new revenue opportunities. And, uh, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm a 30, 40, 50 year old phone company and uh, I've been making money from uh, the killer app of voice, uh, when you know, 3 and 4G came along, I probably got a few headaches, but uh, I could take painkillers and deal with that because smartphones came along and simplified some of that. But 5G seems to me to be one of these things where it's so big and so broad that um, they're going to have to be a lot smarter about where they pick their uh, their opportunities because, as I said before, I don't know that carriers can be everything to everyone. There was a time when phone companies, and we've seen this in Australia, you know, you've got uh, one or two large incumbents who who own the bulk of the, the market, and then you've got new brands that come in that find sort of agile, nimble ways to, to create new opportunities, new products, new pricing, and, and whether they're high churn, high turnover customer bases or whatever it might be. To me, it seems like there's a whole space here for, for operators to start thinking about these new growth markets and probably what I would term new rapid growth markets where, uh, you know, in Australia, we've got very large mines and uh, I don't know that a lot of carriers and operators have thought heavily about how they might uh, open up a new emerging market for the, the, the whole 5G capability in a mining space. And, and, you know, we've got this in other areas, whether it's logistics, transport, aviation, health, for example, um, do you think it's a case that some of the telcos who may have had the killer app of voice generate the bulk of their revenue are now looking at not just the data opportunities in, I guess, you know, smarter versions of mobile broadband and, and the way they can do that and maybe fix uh, you know, uh, mobile access, but now looking at other rapid growth markets that they didn't necessarily have access to where, whether it's, you know, a particular vertical for IoT or, um, you know, edge-based uh, solutions of some sort, where you, as you said, you know, moving things further the edge of the network. Are you seeing any emerging uh, sort of thoughts or conversations or trends in that space yet? Or what are your thoughts on what it, where it might be going as far as not just the new revenue opportunities, but also the market opportunities opening new emerging spaces that we haven't touched before? Yeah, I think it's it's um, definitely the the, uh, the big new thing that we see uh, opening up, I would say, for, for operators, for incumbent operators, even if you, as you said, you made your... You're an operator that has been around for, for many years, uh, coming from the voice side, moving into mobile data. Definitely, we see uh, opportunities moving into completely new segments. And um, we did a 
some time back, we, we did together with Arthur D. Little uh, a quite thorough survey of various areas uh, in the society in general, globally, uh, which are transforming and looking at what part of these investments are actually within reach for operators uh, through providing communication capabilities, through providing more advanced hosting services or tailor-made services to, to enterprises, depending on the ambition level of, of, of the actual operator. And there's a lot of money in, in this, this space. Um, and the growth is completely different than, than what we see happening on the mobile broadband side. So it's definitely, this is the area where most operators, big and small, are putting their main hopes for and, and, and investments into building new business. Uh, but it has some way to go still. Uh, I would say that we are still in the exploration phase and prototyping phase. Uh, but there are some very promising uh, cases where we've shown tremendous value, for instance, to manufacturing industries through using 3DPP-based uh, so solutions from, from Ericsson here. Uh, so moving to, to licensed uh, spectrum, uh, getting control over your communication in the factory, replacing wires, it gives you very different uh, capabilities uh, and possibilities as a, as a manufacturer to redesign your factory floor, to, to have more flexibility in how you reconfigure your production processes if you're using robots instead that are wirelessly connected instead of wired. So this is a, an area which is one example uh, we also see the energy sector, the transportation sector, and so on. So there is a wide range of opportunities that could be addressed, but the operators need the right sort of, of infrastructure, the right sort of, of processes and ways of working uh, in place before they can start addressing this. It's probably the case that I remember being at uh, New York recently with the uh, OSSPSS user group with the Ericsson team, and... Uh, there was something that really struck me from that event as well, as I think, uh, I hope I get the number right, but I think there was over 60 uh, carriers and telcos and operators under the one roof. And uh, it struck me that they uh, weren't obvious bedfellows as far as uh, you know a lot of competitors under one roof. But the theme that really came out for me, uh, there were a number of exciting things, but one strong theme came out that was the topic of collaboration seemed to uh, to be on everyone's uh, tongues. People were talking about how they could collaborate, how they would work together. And I imagine, you know, as you were just alluding to there, there's some big new emerging markets, but uh, some of them seem to me that to be almost too large for uh, most, if not all, uh, telco and carrying operators to, to uh, take on on their own. Is it the case that you're seeing now, and, and, and my general sense of what the OSSBSS user group uh, uh, event uh, brought out was that organizations that may once thought they were direct competitors have realized they aren't immediately competitors and they're overlapping in some areas. Is it the case you, you see now, because, I mean, you're at the bleeding edge of this space uh, and, and driving strategic uh, product management and vision in this space, are carriers going to need to work closely together and are they going to need to find ways to collaborate and co opt co-compete in some ways? I think it, it may be both. Um, for some in some areas, you probably need to form industry alliances, for instance, to, to drive alignment uh, in the industry in general, to, to make sure that you have a common set of, of uh, processes or technology components to address a specific segment. 
So I think operators should cooperate, uh, but at the same time, they will, of course, compete. So the, the, when moving from the more traditional mobile broadband voice uh, offering into more complex uh, offerings to, to new, uh, new segments, there will quite likely be, there is a value, I would say, industry alliances or, or working together with your customers or the customer's customers uh, to make sure that we actually address a real need and, and provide a real value and not just trying to push our technology onto a new segment. You must understand, and that goes for everyone in the business, right, that you must understand your customer and your customer's customer in order to position your solution, right? So I think cooperation to some extent, would probably be, be good for, for the industry in this space. It's probably going to be driven by consumer demand in any way. So, I mean, uh, I know when we look at the other industry, such as banking, for example, you know, banks have worked out that even though they, they do directly compete for the same basic products and services of cash accounts, loan accounts on the personal home loans, everybody wants to go to the nearest ATM. So the banks worked out that they were all connected to the SWIFT network uh, and they just charged a $2 fee or something like that. They can cover their cost and uh, competitive banks would allow each other's customers to use their uh, respective ATMs. And we see this in aviation where uh, the term code share comes about where, uh, you know, I've recently just been in, in and out of uh, the US and I flew Qantas, uh, but uh, they have a code share with American Airlines. So I had to do the domestic leg in the US uh, with a code share where I booked the whole flight through Qantas, but uh, the last leg in and out of the domestic uh, city in the US was with American Airlines. Uh, so I imagine this is, you know, it's already a proven working model in, in a number of key areas and, and certainly healthcare. Uh, um, I mean, you know, there's no guarantees, but I, I, my gut feel is that the telcos are going to be competitive always because obviously everybody wants to uh, own certain market segments. But the challenges are so big uh, that, uh, and, and the pace is so fast now that what you're making possible with your whole dynamic orchestration capability and the the new sort of cloud-native versions of the uh, business support systems, uh, onboarding people quickly and creating new products, and the speed and, and, and agility with which the uh, OSS platforms or orchestration of the infrastructure and the, the support systems around that, that organizations now are going to be driven in many ways not just by their own demand to acquire market space, but uh, their consumers are going to demand that from them. And, and often the case, as we've seen with carriers, if you don't have uh, coverage in one area, you partner with somebody else and use their poles and wires and antennas. So I imagine there's a, a whole new space in there, but some exciting uh, news with regard to your uh, whole new solution offerings, and I, I look forward to learning more about those. And uh, it's been great to get some insight into kind of, you know, your thoughts around the whole space of opportunities and challenges with operators and, and how they're going to grow beyond that mobile space. Before we wrap up, what I'd love to do is kind of hand you a, a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with my guests is to uh, invite you, if you don't mind, if I hand you a virtual crystal ball, get you to gaze into it. Um, as a close-up, uh, where do you see us in three to five years in this whole space of, of you know, where 5G core and the whole 5G platform's taking us? Are there any big moving trends that stand out or is it uh, sort of a, an industry-wise shift in a particular area that you think uh, you might have a, a general sense that uh, we're moving towards? Well, that, that's a very interesting question and I'm, I'm borders to, to research uh, a little bit. Um, Three to five years is it's a bit difficult to predict, and it should be difficult to predict because we want uh, the industry to be agile and flexible. Right? But uh, yeah, I can give you my view. Um, I think in a couple of years we will have a very high degree of, of cloudified operators. Um, 
operate and then I don't need only mean that applications are running virtualized. It's also about transforming the the ways of working in the operator to adopt to um, uh, more efficiently more efficient ways of of, of deploying and managing uh, your, your infrastructure. Uh, maybe even new business models. There is some discussions about the role of public cloud infrastructure providers. Uh, will that play a role or not? Uh, remains to be seen. Uh, but definitely targeting more simplicity in cloudification, if you call it that way, is, is one thing. And I think we will have a very large part of, of the networks uh, running in, the, in this or on their way to run in this way. Uh, I think the, one of the visions uh, or visions we have is, is what we call the zero-touch networks. I think we will have a couple of more steps taken towards zero-touch networks. That's really about the network which requires zero manual intervention. Um, maybe a vision, but but something that we definitely think is close to reachable. And, and this requires, of course, that the, the call it artificial intelligence or machine learning or whatever, but it requires that the system is continuously learning. Um, if you allow me to talk about three to five years, yeah, uh, say that we will see some of these uh, technologies coming into play and more closer to, to uh, what we call zero-touch networks. And this is important then to, to, for operators to very efficiently manage the network. Um, another thing I think we will see increased focus on is security. And that goes hand in hand with, with um, this cloudification of the networks. Uh, cloud means that you basically share an infrastructure among many applications um, that calls for strict security measures. Also, the automation per se, where there is very little or even no manual intervention, that requires also that you have your security procedures, your security mechanisms very solid. So I don't think we will see less focus on security. We will see more over the coming years. Um, and then I think the, uh, this that we just discussed about, uh, how can you use mobile technology or telco technologies in, in uh, for instance, industry applications? I think that will have materialized in a number of, of uh, successful uh, cases. So basically it's about allowing new ways for, for manufacturers who and they don't have communications or, or communication services as any of their core business. They want to manufacture something. Uh, but we, as an industry, can help them um, do this in a much more efficient way than they do today. Uh, we, we have some very exciting examples on, on how we help manufacturers to, um, to save a lot of money in production uh, just through using our, our scaled-down solutions for, for telco. <clears throat> so I think um, we will see not only for manufacturing, but over a broad area of, of non-consumer business, we will see more and more business and, and a growing part of the operator business uh, coming from this space. I think we, I think we have a very interesting future ahead, uh, and I'm looking forward to the to the coming years as well. Indeed, so, um, this this will be uh, fantastic. I think. It's a great time to be alive, isn't it? And uh, you know, a couple, of, 
A couple of thoughts came to my mind here. I was just making notes as you were talking. I think I've got uh, three pages of notes we can do yet another show on. So we're definitely going to get you back on the show. But uh, your comment with regard to uh, the considerations for public cloud, I I can imagine now that we've now got a scenario where, you know, Ericsson in many ways has become its own first customer in the cloudification of its own business and infrastructure and, and all of its own systems like OSS and BSS platforms have become cloud natives in its own OpenStack space. I imagine, you know, with your comment with regard to what may or may not happen with public clouds, seems to me that that in other spaces that um, the telcos and the operators may actually be able to facilitate enterprise players to develop capabilities and tools and services that shift from public cloud to the telco cloud and backwards where they need to use telco services. So I might, uh, you know, games are one that comes to mind immediately where games might run on a laptop, then they go to a cloud for a group uh, thing, then they might go to a telco cloud if they want to operate at the edge of the course somewhere to, to get data moving around. I can sort of imagine this little virtual sort of capability of an intelligent agent moving in and around the networks, getting access to the services uh, as and when they need. And I, I think this is going to create a whole new sort of, you know, mushroom cloud of explosion of exciting new capabilities we haven't even imagined before. And uh, as you said, it's a very exciting future. But uh, Lars, it's been fantastic to get to know you better and uh, and to get to know more about, I guess, what your role in, as Director of 5G Core Strategic Product Management. And uh, thanks for sharing what you could around the launch of the, uh, the new, uh, I guess, solution offerings inside the 5G platform that uh, you're describing. And... Uh, Great insights into what's happening around that whole transition uh, beyond the uh, mobile broadband space and some of the challenges that operators are facing, but also some of the exciting opportunities that lay ahead of them. And it's uh, been great to have you on the show. Thanks, Des. It's been really nice to be here.